Father, thank you that um, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you that though it's cold, it's sunny, and it's just a wonderful uh, day to be in in the presence of you, Lord God, by your Spirit, and also with other believers as we look into your Word. It's just so wonderful, Lord. And I, I'm grateful for it, Father. I'm grateful that you are here right now. That you have something to say to all of us. That you. Um, that you planned this day before time began, that you knew that who would be sitting here and what they would need. And it's just amazing to me, Lord, that you knew what I would need and you prepared for it and, uh, and that you're going to be at work through your word that we're going to read and talk about and look at and, and it's going to be wonderful. And I thank you in advance, Lord God, because you are a faithful God and you always honour those who honour you and you will bring us into an understanding of who you are and what you do and, and how you act, Lord God, because you want us to know you. You want us to know you because knowing you is eternal life. And I praise you, Lord, for that life. I thank you for every single person here that, uh, uh, that we have come into this place to, to listen to you speak and that we will be changed by what we hear. And I praise you, Lord God, and we want to say that we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, could you go to Matthew 17, please? Matthew 17, verse... Um, 14 to 21. Today is called Moving Mountains. Um, and Jesus talks about moving mountains in uh, Matthew 17. Um, Matthew 17, verse 14 to 21. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and he is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him and the demon came out of him and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, If you have, a si have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Uh, but or to you, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In my translation, that's in uh, uh, brackets because uh, it is not in the uh, original manuscripts. So it is something that was obviously put in after the originals, and then as soon as it goes in, no one can ever take it out. So uh, when when you see something in brackets like that, it means it wasn't in the original. No, just that. Uh, yes, the whole of verse 21. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Um, the, uh, yeah, so in Mark now, Mark chapter 9, verse uh, 14 to 29, if you could go to Mark uh, chapter 9, um, 14 to 29. Uh, one of the things I love about the Gospels is that they all come at the same, or the three Gospels, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, they come at the same circumstances and situations and uh, messages of Jesus, but they come from different angles. And... Uh, it's really interesting, actually. If at lunchtime, I, after lunch, if I asked you to describe to me the morning and I picked four people at random or three people at random and I said, what was on the lunch table and what, who was in the room and what did it look like and how was it, etc., etc., we would get three different, four different mm -hmm. responses because we all see with our own 
uh, eyes and we see things differently. That's what I love about the Gospels. <laughs> I love that, that they're all showing us one part of this diamond that is Christ Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, they're not exactly the same, but the beauty of it is that we can piece them together and see, okay, what does all this mean? So Mark chapter 9, 14 to uh, 29 when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when they were, um, sorry, immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? bring him to me they brought the boy to him and when he saw him immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth and he asked his father how long has this been happening to him and he said from childhood it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him but if you can do anything take pity on us and help us and Jesus said to him if you can all things are possible to him who believes Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. And then again, uh, hopefully you like scripture, because <laughs> we're going to read the same account in Luke chapter 9, um, verse 37. Luke 9, verse 37 uh, on the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them, met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling, as it, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Um, that's the beginning of verse 43. So um, if you turn back to Matthew, Matthew 17, um, uh, it's in Matthew 17 that we read about the mountain in this, that Jesus uses the moving mountain phrase, which he will use in other, in, in other parts of the gospel again. But here, in this account, it's, it's Matthew who writes that he said, if you have this faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be moved, and it will move. Um, and so uh, if you look at verse um, 20 in Matthew 17, it's a kind of a strange verse, actually. 
I don't know what your translation, what translation you're using, but uh, I use the NASB, which is a word-for-word -word translation, and so um, it's a little bit harder to read because it, the English doesn't flow quite as well. But when we read it, we know that we've got exactly the words that he said. So in verse 20 of Matthew 17, and he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, that, you know, they couldn't drive it out. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here. Now, I don't know about you, but I think, don't you think that littleness of faith is the same as mustard seed faith? So why is it that he says it's because of the littleness of your faith that you couldn't? And yet he's saying if you have mustard seed faith, which is the tiniest size faith, he's saying you could have said to this mountain. So that started me on my uh, trek to begin with because I looked up what does littleness, what does the word littleness mean? And it actually means unbelief because of your uncertainty, because of your unbelief. He uses it in uh, Matthew 13, 58, uh, Matthew says that Jesus didn't do many miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. And it's, he uses the same word. And so um, when he's talking to these disciples in Matthew 17, what he's saying is, you couldn't do anything about this because you had uncertainty or unbelief in your believing, if you see what I mean. You, had, you, you, weren't, you weren't believing fully. And then you pick that same thought up in uh, Mark or Luke, I can't remember now, one of the, uh, one of the uh, accounts. The man says, if you can do this, will you do it? And Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible to him who believes. And the man says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And so there you get this understanding of what did Jesus mean about you couldn't cast it out because of the littleness of your faith, yet if you have mustard seed faith, you would be able to say to this mountain, move. So there's a difference. There's something about mustard seed faith that I want to know <laughs> because most of the time my faith feels like it's as small as a mustard seed. I want to know what that sort of faith is that will move mountains. I want to know how then that is different to the faith that he talks about the littleness of your faith or the uncertainty. Um, these disciples knew Jesus. They knew Jesus. The ones that couldn't cast out the demon of th in this boy knew Jesus. They had been with him for nearly three years. And actually, they had already cast out demons because he'd already sent them out into the villages and said, wherever you go, cast out demons. And they came back amazed, saying, everywhere we went, the demons fled and we healed the sick and we did this and we did that. And they were so excited. And yet here, in this account, they're standing together and they cannot cast out this demon. And so again, what was happening then? What had changed? Why could they not do that now? And does it mean necessarily that we can't always do what we can do. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Is it possible to do something one day and then not do it another day? Is that possible? Before we all nod our heads and think, yes, it is, let's read through and see uh, what he will tell us. Um, we have to look at, if we're going to look at the Matthew chapter, we're going to take that as our base, baseline. We want to look at what had been going on before this, this incident. 
If you start at chapter 17, verse 1, you read that Jesus is going to take three of his disciples up onto the mountain and he is going to be transfigured um, before them. Moses and Elijah are going to meet with him. Peter's going to offer to build three tabernacles. They're going to hear the voice of God, which says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And, uh, and then they're going to come back down the mountain. And they're going to be told by Jesus, don't tell, tell this vision to no man. And uh, they're going to be not understanding. And he's going to say to them that the Son of Man has got to suffer and be delivered over. So obviously he doesn't want to, them to tell what has been happening. And then it says in verse 4, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus. So they have just been up on the mountain. But that means nine of the rest of the disciples did not go. Now I want you to pick out 12 people in here. 12 people, we'll take 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 12 people. Okay, and I'm going to pick three Okay, I'm not Jesus, but I'm going to pick three. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to look at you and say, which three are going to go up to the mountain top with me? Okay, Laura, I'm going to take Laura. And, um, you know, this is what's going on here. These are ordinary men, and they've been walking with Jesus, and they've been casting out demons, and they've been seeing him do miracles. And suddenly, he's going to take three of them to a mountaintop. And you know, if you're the ones left behind, you know you wanted to go with Jesus didn't you? You wanted to go with Jesus. And you're wondering, why didn't he take me? I mean, I'd have been good. I'm just as good as James or John or Peter. I mean, I could have gone. And you're still down. And Luke will say it's about eight days later. There's a kind of, it's roughly a week later, they're going to be here. And I wondered what happened in that time that Jesus was away with the three. What did they talk about? What did they do, these disciples, the nine that had been left behind? What did they do? They weren't on the mountaintop experience. They didn't have that with the Lord. They were doing the nitty-gritty, walking around down here, which is what we do all the time. We do the nitty-gritty, walking in the mud, trying to talk to people about the Lord Jesus, trying to live our faith, trying to do it. And Jesus is not with us physically. We can't see him. We can't talk to him. We can't see him doing the miraculous stuff that he was doing. And I wonder if these disciples, the nine, didn't get a little bit cross that they weren't taken, a little bit jealous that they weren't with the three, a little bit mm, self-indulgent maybe. Well, what have they got that we haven't got? We can do anything. Did they just let things slide a little bit? I don't know, but did they? And so what we see is when they come back down the mountain, uh, Jesus and the, the, the other three, what's happening in front of them is there is a crowd of people. And there are scribes and there are Pharisees and there are ordinary people and there are nine disciples and there is a boy with a demon that is throwing him about all over the place. And there, there is a father beside himself begging these nine disciples, please get rid of this demon in my son. It's killing him, it's killing him. And the scribes are all looking on and probably they're asking questions. Well, I thought you cast out demons before. Why can't you do it now? And where is this Jesus? And where is this man? And you've been following him and this and that. Now picture yourself in the middle of Sirencester Square, outside the church, the big church in the middle of Sirencester. And there's a crowd because there is a boy having some sort of fit. 
in front of you. And you've said, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I believe he can do anything, he is miraculous, he is this, he is that. And you've got people coming up to you, religious people, and saying, well, what is it about Jesus then? Tell me what's different about your Jesus, and how does he save, and what happens, and how did he do it, and where is he now, and what will happen to you when you die, and what will happen to your body, and all of the doctrines of your faith, and they're questioning you about it. And all the time, there is this boy being thrown about on the floor. Tell me, would you be able to explain to the, the people coming at you asking questions? Would you be able to articulate clearly your faith? Would you be able to say, I know that I know that I know my God is mighty to save. He does this, he does that, he does the other thing. Would you be able to turn to this demon-possessed boy and say, be gone? Or would you be frightened by the crowd? And would you be thinking, but if I say, be gone... What happens if he doesn't get delivered? What happens if he doesn't? And I think somewhere in what I've just said, we have the truth about what these nine disciples were feeling. They're a little bit afraid. There's too many people. They're having to explain something they don't fully understand. They're a little bit afraid that if they pray for this boy, it won't, he won't go. Or, or maybe they have tried to pray and the demon hasn't gone. And the longer it's gone on, the worse they felt and the more they've shrunk back and the more they've thought, where is Jesus? Where is he? And of course, into that, Jesus comes with his three the other three disciples, and says to the boy, uh, says to the demon in the boy, be gone. And the boy uh, is delivered. It's delivered. It's an amazing situation, and I, I wish I was better at kind of picturing it. I wish we could have a movie screen up here and we could watch it, you know, as if it were really actually happening in front of us. Because I think we would then understand what Jesus is talking about. Because he comes down and we read this as if he's saying, you perverted generation, blah, 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 and as if he's angry. But actually, in the original language, there is a sense that he is so sad that they cannot know that they can be rid of this demon. He is so sad that those nine disciples were so uncertain that they couldn't deliver this boy. And, um, and so he says, oh, how long, how long must I bear with you? And you know, when I was preparing this, I mean, it's so much better if you prepare it. You should get into teaching. It's so much better, you know. You just, you just learn. I mean, there's so many things, honestly, that you, I just feel like... I felt like the Lord saying, can you imagine how sad I am today? Do you know what I mean? Can you imagine how sad I am when I look at the church in the West and when I look at all the mountains that are in front of people? Can you imagine how sad I am that they're not saying to this mountain, be moved, and it be moved? So uh, I suppose the idea for today is, how can I understand what Jesus is talking about? What is this mustard seed faith? And how does mustard seed faith enable me to speak, to say to this mountain, be gone, and then see it gone in the power of the Lord Jesus. 
And I, we have to ask, first of all, the first thing is to ask, okay, I can read the words, but can I need to understand what they mean. I need to understand what do you mean when you say these things. And then I need to ask him, could you please show me the condition of my own soul, my own heart? Could you show me the mountains in my life? Could you show me the mountains in my life that I might say to those mountains, be gone, so that I can then clearly see the mountains that other people are facing? And third, can you, we need to ask him to lead and direct us into the truth that will make us free. Um, Jesus says here that mustard seed faith can be the channel through which God will move the mountain. That is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. It is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. It is the God who created all things who will work through the mustard seed faith that you and I have. And you know what? I, at the end of this day, I want to know that I've understood what Jesus means here. Because I don't want to go out on anyone else's understanding. I don't want to go out on anyone else's, this is what you must do, this is what you've got to work up, this is what you've got to get to. You know, play a few praise songs and sing a few things and then you'll raise your hands and go up and you'll be out on a cloud and it'll be amazing. Because I don't want mustard seed faith on the top of the mountain. I want it down here in the mud. <laughs> I want the sort of faith that Jesus is talking about so that, I can, so that I can trust the Lord to work through that faith down in the mud and in the muck. So um, Jesus says to them in Matthew, that sentence that is included, that as I say is not in the original one, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Uh, in, in Mark and Luke, he says that this, this does not come out except by prayer. And in Luke, he includes that the, at the result of him um, casting out the demon, the crowds marveled and gave glory to God. So there's a lot of things in there that we want to look at. I think those disciples expected to be able to get rid of that demon. And when they couldn't, they were surprised. As I say, they'd been out with him, um, and, uh, and, and they, had done, they had cast out demons before. But something has happened in between times. And from what, I've just, what we've just read in Matthew, and in Mark, and in Luke, Jesus lit tells us something about mountain-moving faith. What does he tell us? Sorry, you're just wondering, was she ever going to stop talking? Yes, she is. <laughs> what does he tell you about mountain-moving faith? Just simple things. What, what do you know about mountain-moving faith? Nothing will be impossible. Yes, yes. <coughs> even, even more basic than that. Yes, even more basic than that. Mountain-moving faith actually exists. It actually exists. Jesus doesn't just talk about mountain moving in one place. He talks about it in other places in the Gospels. Therefore, you know it is possible to have that sort of faith. Possible for you and I. Yeah. And third, so, that it, so it, it exists. It's possible for you and I to have it. And what's the third thing? I mean, you can see how basic these are. This, this mountain-moving faith exists. It's possible for you and I to have it. And the third thing... 
Yeah, well, ma ma <laughs> hey, yeah. Just one more, maybe even more basic than that. Jesus expects us to have it. He expects us to experience this type of faith. Because, you know, he, he doesn't set this up as, wow, this is such a grand thing. And only the super spiritual are going to get this. He talks about this mountain-moving faith as if it is there for all of us. So, three things. So, Can you please, uh, let's turn to Matthew 21. Um, so, Matthew 21. Um, and we're going to read, uh, where are we going to read? Um, where are we going to read? I'll just pass through. Oh, yeah, 18 to 22. Thank you. 18 to 22. Now, in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. This is Jesus. Seeing a lone, figure, uh, a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? Um, and Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Uh, same thing in Mark 11. I won't read the whole thing, but Mark 11, verse 11 to verse 26 um, or maybe I will read it, sorry. Matthew, Mark 11, uh, verse 11 to 26. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps it would, he would find anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a robber's den? The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you for your transgressions. And then again, another, another verse in brackets, so not in the original Mess, uh, translate, uh, not in the original um, uh, transcripts, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Um, 
I wanted to read the whole passage because I realised actually in my, that when I looked at my notes that, that um, the setting is really important. The fig tree and its lack of fruit is bound together with the money changers and the merchants in the temple. It's all wrapped up together. And it is the fig tree that Jesus likens to the mountain here. He, he compares the fig tree with the mountain, or at least the cursing of the fig tree with the moving of the mountain. And um, I want to understand what that's about. So what is it about the fig tree that enabled Jesus to use it as, a mountain of a, uh, as an example of a mountain? What was it about it? Why would the disciples be able to say to that mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea if they believed in God? And why would everything that they asked in prayer, believing they had received it, be granted to them? And why and how did forgiveness come in? See, see that's when I read the scriptures, that's what happens to me. I start to think, why? Why is that linked? Why is a fig tree like a mountain? Why is he using it in that way? How did it get wound up with the temple and the money changers? And why did he put forgiveness in there? And what does he mean that all things I ask believing, I will receive? What does that mean? So what is it about the fig tree that made it a good example for, uh, or of a mountain? What do you know from those two, cha- two accounts? What did Jesus come to the fig tree for? Figs. Figs. What did he find? None. 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 It wasn't the, yeah, it wasn't the season, no. So obviously there was something about this fig tree that made him expect to see figs. There are two different types of fig trees. Some have figs and some don't in different seasons. But So there was something about this fig tree that looked like a fig tree that was supposed to have figs, right? And it didn't have. So, and Luke says, well, it wasn't the season for that fig tree. But whatever, Jesus thought it was supposed to have figs. And he goes to it and he expects the figs and he doesn't find it. Okay, so think about that in, the t- in, in regards to the temple. It looked healthy. What was the temple supposed to be giving? What was it supposed to be giving? What were, what were the people in the temple? Glory to God, yes. But what was it supposed to be producing? Fruit. It was supposed to be producing fruit. Think about yourself. Where is, where is the temple now? I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. What's supposed to be produced in my temple? Fruit. 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 The fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be. So what about the fig tree and the temple are identical? Lack of fruit. There's no fruit. But the, th- diff- the thing that, we're trying, that Jesus is trying to show us is they both look like they should have had fruit. The temple looked like there was supposed to be fruit coming. It looked like a temple. It looked like the temple of God. The fig tree looked like a fig tree that was supposed to have fruit. So um, why did the temple not have fruit? If you see what I mean. Why was the fruit not coming out of the temple? It become a market centre. Yeah, it become a market centre. Why? Who had? The scribes and the Pharisees. Those people had lost sight of what the temple was supposed to be. What was the temple supposed to be? House of prayer, house of God, pure, holy, a place of sacrifice. What was it? It was a, a place of merchandise. It was a place of selling. 
So actually, was the temple really a temple? No. no. What was it? It was the external facade of a temple. But what went on inside had nothing to do with a temple. What was the fig tree? It had leaves. It looked like a fig tree. It looked like it was supposed to be bearing fruit. What was happening? There was no fruit. So what do you think, why do you think that Jesus, what, why do you think he would curse the fig tree and then compare, or, or that be linked with the temple? Yes, it's the same thing. But what do you think he's, he's saying about the scribes and the Pharisees and the people who run the temple? They're not bearing fruit, but, but also what were they doing? They were putting on the external show. They were putting on the external show. So what do you think Jesus is saying? What do you think he's saying here? Exactly. All your external show is actually fake. It's fake religion. It's fake holiness. It's fake uh, spirituality. It's all fake. And just as the fig tree without figs is useless because it doesn't feed anyone, so the temple without holiness and purity and all the other things that are supposed to be coming from the temple... It doesn't feed anyone. The temple was the place that you went to meet with God. And the fig tree was the place you went to eat. And can you see the connection? That's what he's saying. There's a connection here. And he's walking around saying, we can't have fake anymore. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he's constantly saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, you hypocrites, you wash the outside. And the inside of you is filthy. It's filthy. Now, I, I just want to think about that. Pride and religion and sham righteousness. Okay, just, I mean, don't look at yourselves because you've all given up a really lovely Saturday to come here. So I'm sure you're all super holy. But really, <laughs> think, think about the church in the Western world. Think about the church first before you get to yourself, <laughs> or, or if you want to do it the other way around, I don't mind. But think about the church. What is the church in our day in the West? It is a fake. It is fake. Often, not every single congregation, but the general, uh, Im- the general outside is wonderful. It's the church. But you can walk into a thousand, hundreds of thousands of churches and never find food for your soul. And that is what Jesus will hold people accountable. And that is what he will hold you and I accountable for. You look like a Christian. You sound like a Christian. You may even dress like a Christian. But there's nothing in you of me. There's nothing in you of me. And he's cursing that fig tree. He's cursing it. Because the problem is, you see, fake religion, you could say, only really affects you. If you're a fake, Jesus can see it. He knows that you're a fake. And the church, that church, if it's a fake, it only really affects them. Let them get on with their own fakeness. But the problem is that the, the people who are looking for Jesus don't know that. So they come to you in all your fakeness and they get nothing. They get a fake God and a fake Christ. That's the problem. 
There are people starving in our world. There are people starving on the streets out there. And if all they're being offered is fake spirituality, is this drumming up of, of noise and music, and um, I don't want to keep saying music because I love music, but all of this fakeness that just pretends to be Christianity, then those people are still starving. If they can't come into a church or come up to someone who says they're a Christian and find Jesus, where will they find him? Now, we're talking about moving mountains. And so you probably thought you were coming to a day which was all about moving mountains and you would hear about how to move the mountains. And I hope we do. But you cannot understand how to move a mountain until you understand that Jesus linked it with fake religion and fruitless religion. He, he linked it with that. And what he's saying is, he's talking about the inside of us, that we, there has to be a sanctification process going on. There has to be a desire in you to, to please God, a longing to please God. And if there is, you are on the road to this mustard seed faith that will move mountains. But it's going to start, you're going to know the beginnings of it, when you find in yourself a desire for God, a desire to live for him, a desire to get to know him, a desire to understand more about him. Because if you come to God asking, I want to be able to move mountains. I don't much care about how you do it or what I know about you. I just want to be able to go out there and move mountains. I mean, what, what do you think God's going to say? He's going to say, I can't use you. I can't use you. Because the only people who can move mountains are those who understand, who pray, who decide to pray, who decide to go after me, who decide that the fruit in their own temple is, is the important, the, the beginning of this life of moving mountains. Luke chapter 11. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Um, Luke chapter 11. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me, the door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be <coughs> opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion with it, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Jesus starts by answering a question. His disciples are saying, "How teach us how to pray?" But the and, and we could there's probably millions of messages you could preach on this on this millions of things you could see in it. But there's one basic thing that you can see in what Jesus says from verse one to verse thirteen. What is it? What is understood when they say to him, "Teach us to, how to pray." Um, uh, and he says to them, when you pray, say, blah, blah, blah. What, what does he end up with? Verse 10, for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. God always answers prayer. He always answers prayer. He always, 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 always answers prayer. That's the bottom line. He always answers prayer. Why? In, according to this, why? Yeah, just according to this though. If you then, being evil, know how to good give gifts, good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, the thing is, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit, right? So you went in and you asked for a diamond ring and you got the spirit, you know, I laugh because you didn't really ask for a diamond ring. What, what is it about this then? God always answers prayer. If you ask, you receive. If you knock, it will be opened. If you seek, you will find. Why? Because God always gives the Holy Spirit. What, what is there in there? Because I'm going to link this. This here is linked to mo mountain moving faith. It's linked to the mustard seed faith. It's linked to the fig tree and the temple. It's all linked. How is, what's the link? Why would God give you the Holy Spirit when you pray for whatever you pray? Because the Spirit produces fruit. Yes, and? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Lord, will the God the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What, what's in there? Okay, you come to God, right? And when you're first a believer, you come to God and you pray what everybody else prays, don't you? You listen to him pray and you pray the same thing. And then maybe a bit later you pray something a little bit different and you go on from that. You start to pray and you start to pray. For those of, of, of you who go on, your prayers change. They change. You move from asking for things and asking for individual items to, to into the place of, give me more of you. Why? Why would you be asking for more of God? Without him, you can't do anything, and because he's the best. So when you come before the Lord and pray for whatever you pray for, what's he going to give you? The best. He's going to give you the best. What's the best? himself more of himself when he gives you more of himself what will happen to you Bless. Bless. you'll be blessed you'll be blessed yes and and what what will that mean in real terms now i'm not talking about you know ethereal kind of doctrine theology you know systematic theology i'm talking about real things if you sit today t with the lord and you say to him lord you know my life you know everything i need you know this you know that you know the other thing and i don't know how to deal with any of it so i'm just saying to you lord god what 
just give me what I need. And he, let's say you could see the Holy Spirit, let's just say for a moment, and he said, whoosh, Maureen, that, this is who you need. Because he shows us the way, he's the counselor. Yes, so what will you do when you, when you see, let's just say you could see the Holy Spirit and you saw the Holy Spirit and he, he came to you and he just filled you up. What would happen to all the things you'd said about, God, you know what I need. You know this is going on. You know that. I can't fix this. I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen there. What would happen to all those things? He helps us to disappear. They would disappear. They would disappear. He helps us to see things differently. Yes, yes, yes. They disappear because we start to see things differently. Thank you, Maureen. Yeah, I was... It takes the worry away. Yeah, yeah. That's why he gives the Holy Spirit. That's why when you ask him for things, he will give you for what you don't even know well enough to ask for. Why? He loves us so much. <laughs> yes, because he loves you so much. Because he understands. Are you hot? Thank you, I'm hot too. Because <laughs> he knows we don't know what to ask for. And so he will... And because he is a God who always answers prayer. He always answers prayer, but he doesn't necessarily answer the details that you came to him with. Exactly, because we haven't got a clue about what's best for us. How could we possibly know what's best for us? I don't know what's best for today, let alone tomorrow. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. So all I can say is, Lord God, you know what's happening in my life. You know what I need. You know what I need to do, where I need to go, how I need to be. So Father, just do what you will do in me. Now that requires something to have come before. Trust, trust, trust and before trust. Faith and before faith, well, included in faith. What has For me to be able to get to that place where I come to God and say, look, I've got this grandchild needs this and this husband needs this. Well, I've only got one husband, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he definitely needs this. I mean, really, Lord, he definitely does. And I need this and, and this and this and this and this and this. And when I come with all those things and God gives me the Holy Spirit and I find all those things... They just look different now. They look different. I have had to know who God is to be able to trust him that when he says there's more of me, I understand that actually that is what I need because he is everything. But I can't get to that place until I know who he is. I have to know who God is. Jesus says, doesn't he, in... Um, in John uh, 14, um, maybe it's not there, but anyway, he says, pray in my name. That whatsoever things you ask in my name, ask believing that you will receive them. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Pray in his authority. Yeah, in, yeah, in his authority. What, what does a name mean? What does the, like, for name in scripture, what does it mean? Who he is, it's the character, it's the character of that person. So what Jesus means is when you pray, you pray in my name. You're praying according to my character. You're uh, praying according to who I am. So who's Jesus? Son of God. Son of God. Okay. What else? Because what you're doing is you're going to give your whole life to this God. 
this God. You're going to come to him and say, I don't know anything anymore. I don't know what's right. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. My whole perspective has been turned upside down because now I belong to you. I don't even know how to say the words, let alone what the words are. And he's telling me, pray in my name, pray in my character, pray according to my will, pray in that way. Well, how, who is this Jesus then that we all say we know, we, we love and we follow? Who is he? Tell me, I want to know, who is he? He's the son of God. Yes, okay, what else? Prince of Peace. Comforter. Saviour. Light of the world. Come on, come on. Kind of all the front just doing it. What, what at the back? Bread of life. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the comforter. He's uh, saviour, redeemer. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the life. He's the peace. He's the comforter. So tell me, what situation in your life has that not covered? He upholds all things by the word of his power. All things. That means you and me and the whole world and your situation and this town and your house and your family. He holds, upholds all things by the word of his power. He is God most high. This is the God that you are coming to and asking for everything you need. Tell me, what can he do? That's what I mean. That's why it's important that we know who our God is, that we know who Jesus is. Because when you know who Jesus is, you don't need to worry about everything else. Because you belong to that God. He's yours and you're his. Do you see what I mean? I don't mean to be shouting because it's nearly coffee time. But um, I, I'm just going to read a, a couple of scriptures so that we've got them. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. This is who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life, that, and the life was the light of men. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Um, By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. God, after he spoke long ago in the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Remember back to Luke, Luke chapter 11. What does he say? Pray in this way. How does he begin? Actually, right at the beginning before he says, and he said to them, he said to them, when you pray, say. When you pray, say. On the basis of everything that God is, in the, on the basis of who I am, I say to you, pray in this way. I say to you, 
pray in this way? Why would you pray in that way? Why does the whole church pray, Lord, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Why do we do that? Why should we be doing it? Because we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that if he says to do something, we are going to do it because we believe that he will work through those prayers because of that is who he is. This is the God who says to you, I say to you, I say to you, the God who created all things, the God who upholds all things, the God who sustains all things, the God who is peace, who is light, who is bread, who is a comforter, all of those things. It's that God who says to you, whatever you ask in my name, ask believing that you will receive it. Whatever you ask in my name, ask believing. What else do you know about that? We're going to finish in just a couple of minutes. What else do you know about Jesus, what did he do? Jesus says, pray to the Father. Lots of people praying through Jesus. Mm. Which is right. Uh, pray to the Father through Jesus. Yes. Yes. What did Jesus do? He died on a cross. Who for? For you, for you, not us, for you. He died on a cross for you, you. That God who upholds all things by the word of his power, who created all things through whom nothing came into being that has being, he created all things. That God died on a cross for you. And that same God says, come and ask, because everyone who asks receives. And everyone who knocks, the door's opened. And everyone who seeks, finds. <laughs> Think about who Jesus is and what he's saying. What will you receive? You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And what will he bring to you? I mean, many things, but this is what I've got on my notes. <laughs> Hebrews, he's going to bring this to you. Hebrews chapter, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verse uh, 18, uh, well, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he <coughs> raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I, I, I could go on, but I'm not going to. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, as you come to the Father and seek and ask and knock and bring to him every detail of your life in the wrong way, with the wrong words, with everything wrong, but knowing he is the only God, he is the only one who can help you, 
then he will fill you with his spirit and he will answer your prayers by enabling you to understand the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And he will let you know the surpassing greatness of power, power that is at work towards you. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you pray with all of that underneath and behind and around you. You pray with all of that, all of that knowledge in his name. This is who my God is. This is who he is. What would I be afraid of? What could man do to me? What mountain is there in front of me that God cannot move? What, what, what mountain in my thinking, in my past, in my present, what could there be that this God will not move as soon as I ask? Why? Why would he not do this? This God who died for me. This God who died for me, who took my sins. We come to God on the basis of his character and his promise, and he is an unchanging, uh, unchanging, faithful, omnipotent God. We come in the name of Jesus. We come in the name of Jesus, and we come... And as we do come, we start to come just because this is, we know we can't go anywhere else. And you know what? Most of our prayers end up about that. We always put, you know, for your glory at the end of But actually, mostly, we want the joy and the peace and the comfort and everything else. And that's okay. Of course, that's okay. We're still living in a human body. We still have human issues. We still have problems. We still have difficulties. So, of course, it's okay. Why is it okay? Because God loves you like his only child. He loves you like his only child. So we come that way and we start that way and we, we start to pray. But then what we find is God changes those prayers and we start to say, Lord, this mountain looks impossible to me and I don't know how to get round this. And really, why haven't you moved it so far? And then we start to say, yeah, but nothing's impossible for you. If that mountain's still there, that must be somehow good for me. I don't know how. I can't see beyond the height of it and the width of it. But one thing I know, my God is mighty. And if that's still there, he's working good for me through it. We're going to stop there. Um, yeah, we're going to stop there and have a um, cup of coffee. Father, thank you for this first session. Lord God, I ask that you would take it and, um, and just make it real in our hearts and in our minds and in our soul, Lord God. You do what only you can do, Father. And help us as we start to have a cup of coffee with friends and we talk, help us to talk about you, to think about you, to lift up your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.